this is a pretty good looking crop, isn't it? <laughs> I'm very happy today uh, because on Mother's Day, we are seeing the fruit of a Christian home. I was thinking over these young friends who will today be declaring publicly their faith in Jesus Christ. Every single one of them has a Christian mother. And I am sure that the reason today they are professing their faith in Jesus Christ has been that they would be able to uh, say that their mothers had taught them about faith in Christ and the inspiration of their lives have been such as to condition these to seek a profession of faith on their own. They have come to that point in life where today they declare their faith in Jesus Christ publicly. They have already met with the session of our church and uh, have been approved by the church session for membership in the Montreat Presbyterian Church and have been received. And now they make publicly uh, their profession of faith in Christ. Some of them have been working very hard ever since last February in a communicants class. And it's been my privilege, it's really sort of sad to me to give them up. I've been meeting every Wednesday afternoon with them from 4.30 to 5.30 ever since last February. And it's been a very interesting experience for me. You always learn a lot uh, in your communication with young people. They teach you a lot and they ask you a lot of good questions. And they learn a lot. And the way in which they have blossomed out in their faith in Christ has been an inspiration to me. I want you to meet Mark Crawford. Mark, where are you? Mark, <laughs> you know what I'm going to do? We have a lot of Baptists who listen to us on the radio, and I'm going to bootleg a little Presbyterianism into them. Come over here. <laughs> Mark, now you, you uh, have a very important question. It's what is effectual calling? This is what leads us to make our profession of faith in Jesus Christ. So you tell us, in the words of the Catechism, what is effectual calling? Effectual calling is the work of God's Spirit, whereby convincing us of our sin and misery, enlightening our mind in the knowledge of Christ, and renewing our wills, he doth persuade and enable us to embrace Jesus Christ freely offered to us in the Gospel. I think we got another Martin Luther. <laughs> Mark, I want to go a step further with you. What is justification? Justification is an act of God's free grace whereby he pardoneth all our sins and accepteth us righteous in his sight only for the righteousness of Jesus Christ imputed to us and received by faith alone. That's excellent, Mark. We're very proud of you. Uh, for your statement of faith. Thank you, and you can take your place back there in the line. Mark has just spoken about effectual calling, the work of the Holy Spirit enabling us uh, to come to Jesus Christ, and he's talked about faith in uh, Jesus Christ through justification. There's a difference uh, between justification and sanctification, and we're going to talk about that now. Claire Skidmore, tell us what is sanctification. Sanctification is the work of God's free grace, whereby we are renewed in the whole man after the image of God and are enabled more and more to die into sin and live into righteousness. Claire, do you remember the difference between sanctification and justification? Justification happens when God ex accepts you. Sanctification goes on throughout your whole life. That's right. Now that's important for all of us to remember. Justification is an act of God's free grace. That takes place instantly. 
Sanctification is a work. That means he's got to work on us for a long time. One of, one of our young people had a little button on the other day that uh, said, be patient with me. God is not finished with me yet. <laughs> well, he's not finished with any of us yet. We, we go into heaven. We walk in with our, our book in hand, so to speak, still learning. That's excellent. I'm uh, grateful for that fine answer, uh, Claire. Donald, we use this word sanctification. Donald Munson, tell us just what the word means. It makes us holy. <laughs> Donald is wired for sound. <laughs> it makes us holy. How, how do you become holy? It makes me like Jesus. It makes me like Jesus. That couldn't be a better answer. Thank you, Donald. Now then, uh, Skipper, what is faith in Jesus Christ? Faith in Jesus Christ is a saving grace whereby we receive and stand upon him for salvation as he is offered to us in the gospel. That's very good. We've got effectual calling, God's work in calling us to salvation. We've got justification, his work in making us uh, holy. Uh, we've got sanctification, his work on us. Now then, we've got to talk a little bit about uh, the Christian sacraments. There are two of them. Can anybody tell me what the two sacraments are? Claire? The Lord's Supper and Baptism. The Lord's Supper and Baptism. Do you want to tell us what a sacrament is? A sacrament is a holy ordinance instituted by Christ, wherein by sensible signs Christ and the benefits of the new covenant are represented, sealed, and applied to the believers. Sac a sacrament is a holy ordinance instituted by Christ. Today, when we baptize two of your number, we will say that Jesus Christ authorized us to do this, wherein by sensible signs, that is something that we can see, something that is tangible, that you can touch, wherein by sensible signs Christ and the benefits of the new covenant are represented, sealed, and applied to believers. And this is what happens to us when we become engrafted into Christ through uh, baptism. Uh, tell us what baptism is in your own words. Uh, uh, what is baptism? Nancy, you're going to be baptized. An outward expression of an inward faith. An outward expression of an inward faith. I always like to explain to the girls, they're interested in this, that uh, baptism is an outward sign of what takes place in our heart. I have a wedding ring, and this is a symbol that says I belong to somebody. Well, uh, baptism is like that. It's an outward sign that people can see that says to all the world we belong to Jesus. It's our engagement to be the Lord's. It professes outwardly to people that we belong to Jesus Christ. You know, the earliest Christians, when they received baptism, were often persecuted because of the name of Jesus Christ. And it was a very big step that they took uh, when they received baptism. And it's a big step that your parents took, those of you who were baptized in infancy, and a big step that Nancy and Ned will take this morning in publicly declaring their faith in Jesus Christ and their desire to live for him. Um, now then, do we have anyone else that I haven't asked a question? Susan, what is a Christian? A Christian is a person of conviction, commitment, and conduct. Now, where did you get that? <laughs> a Christian is a person of, of conviction. What is conviction? That's what we believe. And commitment. You know, if we believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, it doesn't do any good 
unless we are committed to his lordship. Isn't that right? And then being committed to his lordship results in a conduct that will bring honor to his name. Isn't that what you were going to say? Yes. <laughs> Thank you, Susan, very, very much. These have been a wonderful group uh, to work with. I've enjoyed it. Uh, and now then, I'm going to read to you the questions that are suggested in our book of church order. And then we're going to have baptism for two of you. Let me read, uh, first of all, these words. There are, in our group here today, these young people coming, there are, many of these young people were baptized in infancy. That is, their fathers and mothers declared for them a faith which they could not at that time declare for themselves. But later, now, on their own volition, that is, by their own will, they have determined uh, to declare publicly their faith in Jesus Christ. Uh, two of our number, Nancy Maria Sito and Nelson Edmund Graham, will today receive the sacrament of baptism. And uh, that means that today they publicly declare their faith and receive that seal of baptism. Now the questions for candidates for baptism, as well as those who are making a public profession of faith, are the same. And so I'm going to read these questions to you, and you are to give an answer to them. Number one, do you acknowledge yourselves to be sinners in the sight of God, justly deserving his displeasure, and without hope except in his sovereign mercy? Do you? I do. Do you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ as the Son of God and the Savior of sinners? And do you receive and depend upon him alone for salvation as he is offered to you in the gospel, do you? I do. Do you now resolve and promise in humble reliance upon the grace of the Holy Spirit that you will endeavor to live as becomes a follower of Christ, do you? I do. Do you now promise to serve Christ in his church by supporting and participating in its worship and work to the best of your ability? Amen. Do you submit yourself to the government in the discipline of the church and promise to further its purity and peace? I do. Thank you. Now then, Ned, if you will come here, and Larry, if you will come over here. Let's see, Nancy, you come right here. Before our Lord Jesus Christ ascended up to heaven, he called his disciples together and he gave them what is called the Great Commission. He told them to go into all the world and he used a very important word and make disciples, he said, of all nations, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you and baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit. And therefore, in obedience to our Lord's command, today we are going to observe his commission to us and baptize two believers in Jesus Christ. It is proper for the congregation to share in this service. And if you'll turn in the front of your hymnal to page 12, and those of you here who have a hymn book, Nancy, you and Ned can turn there. Turn to the Nicene Creed. 
Now then, let us all stand and confess together the faith into which these believers will now be baptized. I believe in one God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and of all things visible and invisible, and in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, begotten of his Father before all worlds, God of God, light of light, very God of very God, begotten, not made, being of one substance with the Father, by whom all things were made, who for us men and for our salvation came down from heaven and was incarnate by the Holy Ghost of the Virgin Mary and was made man and was crucified also for us under Pontius Pilate. He suffered and was buried, and the third day he rose again according to the scriptures and descended into heaven and sitteth on the right hand of the Father, and he shall come again with glory to judge both the quick and the dead, whose kingdom shall have no end. And I believe in the Holy Ghost, the Lord and giver of life, who proceedeth from the Father and the Son, who with the Father and the Son together is worshiped and glorified, who spake by the prophets, and I believe one holy, catholic, and apostolic church. I acknowledge one baptism for the remission of sins, and I look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Amen. Remain standing and let us bow in prayer. O God, our Heavenly Father, we have come to this sacred moment now and we pray that thou wilt ratify in the courts of heaven that which by divine appointment we do here on earth. We pray that thou wilt set apart so much of this water as we shall use in this baptism to the sacred cause of signifying to the mind and heart and life of these two believers the washing away of their sins by the power of Jesus Christ and their public engagement to be the Lord's. Will you enable them as the years roll by to look back upon this morning as one of the happiest days of their whole lives because upon this day they professed faith in Christ and received this holy seal of baptism. We ask your blessing upon this with the Holy Spirit's work in their hearts through Jesus Christ our Lord. Nancy Maria Sito, believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, I baptize you in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let us pray. Father, add your blessings to Nancy. Grant that she may sense and feel thy presence, and all of the days of her life walk in ways that shall bring honor to thy name, through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Nelson Edmund Graham, believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, I baptize you in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let us pray. O God our Father, grant that this believer, who has received this seal of faith this day, may walk in the ways that shall bring honor to thy name, 
all of the days of his life. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. In these few minutes that we have, I wanted to say something that I thought would especially be meaningful to these young people who have today declared their faith in Jesus Christ. I want to talk about membership and I want to talk about discipleship. A while ago when Mark Crawford was giving us a definition of effectual calling, he spoke a very important teaching of scripture. You see, we do not choose the Lord, he chooses us. One day when Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem, a young man came running up to Jesus and said, Lord, I will follow you wherever you go. I will follow you wherever you go. That's so easy to say. I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus dashed cold water upon this reckless enthusiast by making him consider what he was saying. Jesus said to this young man, and Matthew tells us he was a scribe, Jesus says the foxes have holes, the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man does not have where to lay his head. In other words, Jesus is saying to him, to follow me will not always be an easy business. You will not be locked into a study with all of your books. It will not always be inspiring listening to a preacher speak like I have spoken these parables to you. But to follow me may mean that you'll be out on a sea where a storm comes and water dashes over into the boat. It may mean that people will pick up stones and cast them toward me. And so if you're going to follow me, says Jesus, you had better count the cost. Well, when we become members of the church, we become members of the body of Jesus Christ. And we become members of one another in him. I have explained all of this to our young friends when we were back in our study. We talked about how the fact in the early church they even referred to each other as brother and sister in the Lord. Now then, a lot of young people and a lot of Civil rights enthusiasts, a lot of communists, a lot of other people have adopted this way of speaking with each other as though they were a family and I think it's largely because the church dropped it. We were embarrassed to really care for one another as a brother and a sister in the Lord. But if you want that language, you can go back and find plenty of it in the epistles of Paul you will find him teaching that this is that membership of the church, that we care for one another in the Lord. Mark told us that effectual calling means that we are called out unto the Lord. He called us. That young scribe who wanted so glibly to follow Jesus had simply said, I think it would be a good idea to join with Jesus' group, so I'll go and follow him. He did not understand that it was to be a call from God prompted in our hearts and that to follow him was costly business. Membership. Members of the body of Christ. That means when Christ church suffers in China, I suffer here. When Christ church suffers in Eastern Europe, I suffer here. It means that if one member of this church has pain or trouble or affliction, 
that they are my brothers and sisters in the Lord, and that I suffer with them, that I am not to split the family, I am to be a part of the family of God, and I am to show them that love which would be consistent with this great profession of faith which we have made today. Membership and discipleship. Discipleship means discipline. And when Jesus taught concerning the cost of discipleship, his words were often sayings that seemed so austere and abrupt that we shun away from them. Today is Mother's Day. And yet when we read these words of Jesus, how painful they seem. Great crowds of people were going along with Jesus. He turned to them and said, Whoever comes to me cannot be my disciple unless he hates his father and mother and wife and his children, his brothers and his sisters, and himself as well. What on earth could he have meant? We know that Jesus did not hate his mother. When he was nailed upon a cross, he looked down to Mary, and he said to John, Behold your mother. And he said to Mary, Behold your son. We know that when the rich young ruler came running to Jesus and fell down at his feet and said to him, Good master, what must I do to inherit eternal life? That Jesus said, You know the commandments. Honor your father and mother. He is not here saying that we are not to honor our father and mother, not to love them. So this strange, harsh word that is spoken here is meant to teach us that there must be no competing loyalty, that the cost of following Jesus is very great. And yet that love of Jesus ought to make us much more loving toward our parents. That love of Jesus ought to create within us a desire to be a better son or a better daughter. In fact, he teaches us that we have that responsibility before God and he would not allow the scribes and the Pharisees by their legal fiction to devise tricks so that they could get away from their responsibilities to their mothers and fathers. But the reason he speaks here and the way that he does is that we must love him supremely. There was once a great poet who wrote a poem about a young woman that he loved. He was to go away to fight in a battle and he said to her, I could not love you unless I loved honor more. He had an engagement which he had to fulfill, and so it is with the believer in Jesus Christ. He could not really love his parent if he did not love his Lord more. I think that so often we're afraid that there's just so much love in us, and if we love Jesus supremely that we won't have enough love left for other people. That's not true. Jesus creates a love within us that will make us love everyone else more. He takes all of us. I told our kids the other day about discipleship. We have a discipleship through this great faith in him that causes us to love him with all our hearts. There were once two little girls. They were very, very fond of their father. And uh, he had been off on a trip, and he was coming back home, and they all knew that that afternoon he'd be coming in, and they just couldn't wait. They waited, and the minutes passed by, and they just seemed like hours, and then finally he came in the door. And the older little girl ran to him and grabbed him around the knees with both her arms, 
and looked back at the other little one who couldn't run as fast and said, I have all there is of daddy. And the daddy reached down and picked up the little toddler in, in his arms. And the little toddler said, daddy has all there is of me. <laughs> well, that's the way it is when we love God first. He has all there is of us. And it is because of that love which comes through him that we can transmit love uh, to our parents and to our others. But Jesus teaches us plainly that no matter how great the cost may be, we are always to be loyal in following him. I mentioned a moment ago in the sacrament of baptism that this sign that you belong to Jesus often caused the earliest Christians to be terribly persecuted. They persecuted them and forbade them to preach in that name, the name of Jesus. And yet they kept on preaching and teaching. And sometimes when a believer came and he was baptized in the name of Jesus, his family would cut him off completely. His family would have his funeral as though he were dead. And it was a great cost that was paid when they truly followed Jesus Christ. I remember reading Dr. Samuel M. Zwamer's account of one of the most moving incidents in his life. Sam Zwamer was a great uh, Presbyterian USA missionary uh, to the Arabs. And he spoke on one occasion after he had come back to Princeton Seminary to be one of the professors of missions there. Sam Zwamer told a group of students, he said, you are making membership in the church meaningless because you don't teach the cost. He said, in the Muslim lands where I have worked, I shall never forget one young Arab who came to me. And he said, I am convinced that Jesus is the Son of God. I am convinced that he died for my sins on the cross. The Holy Spirit has convicted me that I should yield my life to his lordship. But he said, if I do, my parents will never speak to me again. I will be cut off. And Sam Zwamer picked up this passage of scripture and read it to him. He said that the man went out into the mission compound and Sam Zwamer had pay, prayed with him. And he opened the windows and he said that he looked out and under the palm trees, he saw this young Arab down on his knees. And he said, I could not help but think of Jesus in the garden of Gethsemane. As I saw that man in an agony of prayer, that night, surrendering his life to the Lordship of Christ, although it cost him the ties that meant so much to him in this world and his family. Happily here, that is not the case. But we have parents who love us and who want us to love Jesus. But there must be no competing loyalty. Then secondly, discipleship not only means another trust and faith in Jesus Christ, but discipleship means growth in grace. Each year we grow physically when we are this age, and we ought to be growing also spiritually all through our lives. And how do we grow in the Christian faith? Well, St. Paul, that I quoted a moment ago, could have a very tremendous Mother's Day sermon because Paul could look at young Timothy, who was such a stalwart believer, and say to Timothy, I thank God for the faith that dwelt first in thy grandmother Lois and in thy mother Eunice, and which is now in thee also. 
And then a little later on in that same letter, St. Paul says to Timothy, he says, from a child you have known the holy scriptures which are able to make you wise unto salvation. We parents should examine ourselves to see if we have been teaching our children to know the holy scriptures which are able to make them wise unto salvation. The reason we have such weird things happening today, such monstrous breakdown of the home, is that we have not really grounded our children in the word of God. We ought to teach them the word of God. That's what we say when we present them for baptism in infancy. The question that is asked of us by the minister says, do you promise to teach your child to read the word of God and that you will read the scriptures to him? That gives us God's point of view. It shows us how to look at things the way God wants us to look at them. And they need to be grounded in the word of God. They need to understand the holy scriptures which St. Paul said to Timothy are able to make you wise, wise unto salvation, to lead you to such a moment as this today. The comprehensive equipment of the man of God not just turning to scripture when there's a funeral. Not just turning to scripture when I've committed some horrible sin. Not just turning to scripture at those times, but steadily, day by day, growing in a knowledge of God through the Holy Scriptures, through God's word speaking to me. Peter says in one of his letters to some new Christians that they are to desire the sincere milk of the word. That they are to be nurtured in this way. And so it is true. And then let me say not only discipleship through a study of the Bible should be a part of our lives, but also a discipleship in prayer. A discipleship in prayer. I have already told these young youngsters who are here how much it means to be at prayer. You can pray in so many ways. And you know you can begin by just a simple prayer. Just saying thank you to God for this beautiful day. Just saying thank you to God over the food that you're eating. Remembering that for great segments of the population of the world, there is no food to eat or not much of it. Thanking God that you're well physically if you are. Thanking God for a home in which to live. Just thanking God, what a difference it makes. We get to know him that way. He loves to give gifts to grateful children. All of us love to give gifts to people who show gratitude for what they have received. One of my old professors used to tell me that the way to qualify for blessings was to be grateful for what God has given you because God loves to give to people who are grateful. And so we ought to be praying. You know you can pray whether you're making a cake or whether you're washing clothes. You can pray when you're driving a car. You can pray when you go to sleep at night. You can pray when you wake up in the morning. There are so many times that you can send up little prayers to God. I remember once reading an account of an old chore woman over in Scotland, a woman who made her living by scrubbing floors with a brush and a bucket of soap and water. 
And one day this woman was seated on the step after she had scrubbed the floor and she was reading a newspaper that someone had discarded. And a Scottish padre, a pastor, came by uh, with his clerical collar and looked at her and he said, what are you doing? And she said, I'm having my devotions. And he looked at her and said, what do you mean you're having your devotions? You're reading the paper. And she said, well, you see, padre, she said, I opened the paper and if I read of a terrible accident, I pray for the people who've been involved. She said, I turn through the paper and I read about the people who are being married and I pray for those who are establishing a home. She said, I turn to the section that not where the notices of deaths occur. And when I read the obituary, I pray for those who are in sorrow. And the pastor said to her, you are indeed having your devotions. What a wonderful thing, how we ought to live in that presence of God. There is a little poem that's helped me a lot, which I commend to each one of you. It's called The Secret. I gave you a copy of it the other day through a little book. It says, I met God in the morning when the day was at its best, and his presence came like sunrise, like a glory in my breast. All day long the presence lingered, all day long he stayed with me, and we sailed in perfect calmness o'er a very troubled sea. Other ships were blown and battered, other ships were sore distressed, but the winds that seemed to drive them brought to me a peace and rest. Then I thought of other mornings with a keen remorse of mine when I too had loosed the moorings with his presence left behind. So I think I know the secret learned from many a troubled way. You must seek God in the morning if you want him through the day. There are people who wake up some mornings and they are irritable and cross and they exclaim, good God, it's morning. And there are other people who wake up and they say, good God, it's morning. They're glad because God is in their hearts. And then let me say this, that membership and discipleship entailing growth means that God will be working through us all our life long. Jesus, right after he had told about the love for him that must come first, said also to his disciples that if a king goes out with 10,000 men to fight another king who comes against him with 20,000, he'll sit down first and decide if he's strong enough to face that other king. In other words, he is telling us that the Christian life is a conflict with evil, and we must be willing to be soldiers of Jesus Christ, a metaphor which occurs again and again in the teachings of Paul. He says, endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. And I like that. And the battle that is waged is one that goes on all our life long. A few years ago, I was in Vietnam, and I'll never forget an occasion in which I preached one Sunday morning out in a tent, burning hot sand in every direction. I had on army uniform and it was soaked with perspiration and it was streaming down my face. And a few men came into a tent and I with a Lutheran pastor conducted a service there. And then we saw some jeeps come up 
and a three-star general came out of the jeep and he came inside and, and he sat down there for worship. And I spied General Lewis W. Walt and so I wanted to tell a story about World War II when I was about the age of some of these young people here. I had a brother who was in the United States Marine Corps and I was very, very proud of my brother. I couldn't wait to get the little letters that came from him, those old V-mail letters that came that were photographed. And Mama would read them and we would read them together and we would pray for my brother. And I was very proud of him because he was a Marine and there was something special to me about the Marines. My brother had gone ashore with the first wave that hit the beach on Iwo Jima. And I was proud of that fact that he was a great soldier, a great Marine. <laughs> and my brother caused me to appreciate one of the things that the Marines and their a great esprit de corps, their great spirit for their uh, efforts. During the war, when they would send a landing force to land on one of those islands in the Pacific, they would reach the shore uh, amidst a rain of bullets and shells that were exploding, and the Marines would dig foxholes, and the Japanese would, would uh, be doing everything they could to uproot them and cast them off of the beaches. And the Marines used to send out to a vast company of naval ships that were out at sea, the Marines would send a radio message back to the Navy because they liked to taunt the Navy. And the Marines would say, the Marines have landed and the situation is well in hand. Well, it would be a long way from well in hand. If they hit an island like Iwo Jima, they would make a beachhead and after their beachhead was established, they had to send out patrols and they had to gain this hill and that hill, knock out that machine gun nest, reach that cave, gain that airstrip, until finally one day the flag of the United States would come up over that island and the island would be pronounced as secure. The Marines had landed and the situation was well in hand, but a great deal of fighting had to go on before that was accomplished. And I told this when General Walt was present, and he asked me afterwards, he said, always use that illustration when you're talking to people about uh, the Christian faith. Why? Because it's this the way. When you declare your Christian faith and you're baptized and you publicly profess it, and you walk out of the church that morning, that's not the end of it, that's the beginning of it. That means that Jesus Christ has landed in your heart, publicly. But then he starts taking over your life, your attitudes toward other people, your attitude toward your schoolwork. I say to many of our students here, because you belong to Jesus, you ought to be a better student, not a worse student. You ought to be a better one. You ought to be able to show to other people that you belong to him. If you claim to be a Christian wife, you ought to be a better mother, a better wife. You ought to be a better father, better husband. Because you belong to Jesus, better son, better daughter. Jesus has landed, and the situation is well in hand. Because he is there, you belong to him now and forever. But he begins to take over all of the parts of your life. And one day, by the grace of God, we will be with the church triumphant in heaven. And all the believers who have gone before and all the believers that we don't know from around the world. And the flag will be lifted. 
And we will be secure in heaven with him. He's working on us now. People have to be patient with us. There's improvement yet to be made. But he has landed. And the situation is well in hand. Membership in the church. And discipleship through faith in him. Through the study of his word. And through prayer. Mean growth. Until he takes us over. And makes us what we ought to be. Let us stand and be dismissed in prayer. O oh, Jesus, we have promised to serve thee to the end. Be it thou forever near us, our master and our friend. And Jesus, thou hast promised to all who follow thee that where thou art in glory, there shall thy servants be. Therefore we seek thy blessings upon these thy young servants and upon each of us who name the name of Christ, that we may be inspired to take our faith in him, really to heart and live for him as true members of his body and true disciples of him. And now may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God our Father and the communion and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit our teacher and guide be and abide with you all, both now and forevermore.